Mindless Can, the podcast, with radio personality Jane Lindley Thomas and psychologist Paul Bushel. Because every act of kindness, no matter how big or small, can change lives. In this series, Jane and Paul hope to enrich your life by giving you practical tools on how to be kinder in your relationships with yourself, with those around you, at home, work, and in your community. So today we are joined by a really loved and celebrated human being. He's also one of the most delightful people that I've met. It's Pat Lambie. Welcome. Thank you very much, Jane. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Paul. Isn't this delightful? Hey, how exciting. True delight. (laughs) So we're chatting about kindness. Mm. Uh, We wanted to ask you, do you have like um, a first memory of kindness in your life that you can remember? And I'll give you a couple of seconds to think about that. Because when I was first asked about it, I think in life we, once again, we always search for these big, these big grand moments, these big shoot the light out crescendos. And when I thought about it, I was like, the first memory that comes to mind for me is drinking tea with my grandparents in their home in Durban North and Humber Crescent. And I always had my little green plastic mug and I remember it was quite sweet. But I remember that being a really kind memory in my life. For you? When you and I got asked that question for the first time, and I'm empathizing with Pat here for a moment, mm. how stumped we were. It was yeah. kind of like, uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah. And that's interesting for me, that how hard it is for us sometimes to connect with those really special, beautiful moments in our life. Photographs often help. Yes. So when, when I got asked that question for the first time, my brain immediately went to a, a really cute photograph of me dressed dorkily like a, a clown. Um, but that was a, it was a great trigger for that. What is one of your early memories of kindness? Yes, I think uh, speaking about your grandparents, Jane, it brings two of my earliest uh, memories of kindness to mind. The first was with my late grandfather, my dad's dad. He used to sit in his leather chair and invite me to come and sit on his little footstool and he had this jar of jelly sweets Mm -hmm. and he'd sit and shoot the breeze with me and every now and again stick his hand in the jar and (laughs) offer me a sweet um the second memory one at a time one at a time yeah one sweet at a time (laughs) probably dependent on my behavior um you had to sing for your supper (laughs) the second memory was with uh, also my my late nana so my mum's mom also related to food, so maybe that's giving something away with <laughs> my things that I like. Um, and every time we used to go and visit at her house, she had a spread of either digestive biscuits with bovril and butter on, or muesli with honey and yogurt, which I used to absolutely love when I was younger. And she just used to shower us with her kindness. Mm. Um, she was a feeder and. I was an eater. So. <laughs> Match uh, made in heaven. Still, um, exactly. <laughs> so those are two of my earliest memories of, of kindness. How delightful. Um, Do you still eat digestives with marmite and butter? Um, every now and then. <laughs> Kate, my wife, loves them. So does my brother, Nicholas. Yeah. Um, but they're not sort of they're not top of my list. They're a treat. It takes you right back there. And in this moment of all three of us sharing these stories, I can't help but have this feeling, just that feeling of like rises up inside of us and yeah. you just connect with it. So special. And maybe mm. you listening, take a minute, take it a couple mm. of minutes and maybe go back and look at photographs and try and search for that memory because I promise you, like listening to everyone's memory here, it makes yeah. you feel like so warm and connected. Yeah. So when we think about Pat Lambie, I mean, obviously we think about an absolute sweetheart and one of the most, you're just so kind. Whenever I see you, no matter who you're with, no matter who comes up to you, you are so consistently constant and we think of rugby, obviously. Then when we think of rugby, 
we wouldn't necessarily think a kindness would maybe be in the same sentence as rugby because rugby is quite a hard game, right? Mm. And I suppose sports is synonymous with competition uh, and mm. being competitive. And where does kindness fit into all of that stuff? Yeah. So looking, I mean, at your, your CV, which is very impressive. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't I, know I had one. Actually. Oh, yes, Google yourself. <laughs> okay. um, but I mean, playing rugby and cricket, memories at school, on the field, do any memories kind of pop out as a youngster of kindness for you? There is actually one. It was on the cricket field. I was run out. The umpire wasn't in a great position to see whether I was in or out. It was a direct hit. I was the batsman. And I knew when the ball hit the wickets, I was not in my crease. I I was out by a foot or two at least. And so as I ran past the stumps, I just carried on walking towards the dressing room on the side of the field. And I, I wasn't aware of it, but the umpire hadn't actually put his finger up if it was out. But then I guess he had to, seeing me walking off, you know, turning my back on everyone. So at the end of that game, one of the players from the opposition came and actually gave me his kit. And we were playing against a, a big school that was from out of the province and, you know, a school that I that we were all quite intimidated or admired. And it was one of the star players who came and gave me his, his shirt, which I still have to this day. So I think that was a... That was a real act of kindness on his mm. behalf. And I guess it was just a great example of kindness on the sports field. I guess kindness and competitiveness on the sports field or in the professional arena, I think if you are a sportsman or you show good sportsmanship, kindness is certainly part of showing good sportsmanship. What I love about that story is it's, it's about taking the time, right? Yes. He took the time to come and find you. Uh, and, and make a gesture. And so maybe in, in the allotted time of the game, kindness, I'm sure, comes in those moments as well, but also finding time after the game uh, and the build-up or after the game to show a gesture. Exactly. Yeah. So we were at, this was at a, a cricket festival, and it was only the that evening that he actually made the effort to come in and find the dormitory that we were in and hand me a shirt of his. Mm. What always amazes me is when you watch now, if we go into kind of professional rugby, is that on the field it looks really kind of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, handbags, and people are hoying out there. I always wonder what is going on in that scrum. So you see the action on the field from a perspective's point of view. And then at the end, I'm always so endeared by the look in the eye when I shake your hand mm. and the cry for the victory or the loss. And there's that real connection, regardless of the scoreboard, of people being connected. Mm. Well, sport is a it's a human story right that's what it's all about it's a celebration of not only physicality but also the things that make us human uh, and maybe competitiveness and competition is sometimes a healthy happy part of that but i think through sport we get to also see all these other wonderful parts of our humanness and play what is one of your best stories of kindness in professional sport i guess it would have to be in my first full season as playing in the first side for the Sharks and the professional team. And we we had a dynamite side and we happened to win the Curry Cup final in 2010. And when we were shaking hands at the end of the game, Brian Habana made a point of giving me a hug and a kiss on the forehead. Now, bearing in mind that he's he was in the opposition Western Province team and they had just lost. 
and he said some of the kindest words ever to me, saying, "Well played, you're a, you're a star today, and you're going to play a big part in Springbok rugby going forward." And I mean, I was I just turned twenty at that point, and uh, had grown up watching Brian and a number of the other players on the field, and then. For him to, you know, in that moment of disappointment, and I'm sure he was hurting and he was upset, he still had the kindness and he had mm. the heart to, you know, shower me with those thoughts and compliments. So I was blown away by that. Makes my eyes all like watery yeah. because <laughs> I think when we unearth stories like this, it shows the capacity that we can love regardless of infrastructure, thoughts and beliefs. Sure. And it kind of always takes me back to the fact that Feelings don't exist in isolation. So you can have lots of feelings all at the same time. Mm. So you can be both disappointed in an outcome, but also really proud of someone or something at the same time. And you can hold both of those feelings. They don't have to be exclusive. Exactly. So it was so wonderful that he had that ability to to hold his disappointment in one hand mm. uh, and at the same time acknowledge a whole bunch of other feelings that he was feeling at the same time, which was pride and admiration uh, and in satisfaction in the the contest that had just happened. And I think mm. that is a wonderful way to be in the world. Those are wonderful moments where we can hold all our different feelings and find different spaces and time to act them out. So his moment for disappointment wasn't there in the shaking of hands. It was maybe later in the change room, mm. but he was able to act out one of the other feelings he was having and just shower you with it. And what an impact it probably had on you, not only in that moment, but also something that you still remember to this day. Exactly. Yeah. If you had to think of uh, the kindest person in the Sharks team, who's the first name that pops into mind? The Beast. Really? (laughs) He's super kind and delightful. He really is. Look at that smile. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Isn't it cool? Yeah. Yeah. What makes you say that? Oh, just that he's always friendly. He's always, you know, uh, welcoming. He never has a, a horrible thing to say about anyone. Very down to earth, very humble. Always smiling and just a good guy who's just always kind. Mm. Isn't it amazing? His name is The Beast. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking the exact same thing. Hey? That actually these things, they sound like contradictions, but they all sit in the same sentence. Competition and kindness, you know, The Beast and kindness. Yeah. It all sits in the same sentence. It's just about choice. Yeah. And the Springbok rugby team, who's the kindest person that when you were playing? Well, the Beast played for the Springboks. Yeah, but we've already spoken about the Beast. <laughs> Double uh, winner. Double winner. <laughs> I feel I bad that the Beast not getting it again. Yeah. <laughs> I think we should be kind of give it to the, the Beast, beast twice. Yeah. <laughs> a deserved winner today. So if mm. we think about kindness, kindness is not always sunshine and rainbows because mm. kindness when the going is good is very easy. Mm. Kindness when things are tough is hard work. Mm. So if we think about some of maybe the darker days in your rugby career, how have you kind of navigated through those dark head spaces? Because I can only assume that there have been some really challenging moments. Yeah, that's correct. Um, I think in any career that lasts eight or nine years, there are going to be huge highs, but there are also going to be a lot of challenges and lows. And in rugby in South Africa, you're very much in the public domain where mm. you're in the limelight mm. quite a lot. And mm. the media, you know, they love to write nice things about you, but they also love to write horrible things about you. Um, and the public, too, they like to speak up and get right behind you when you're playing well and the team you're in is doing nicely. And as soon as it's the opposite, they're the first to slate you and 
throw you out the window, I guess. So it was in those times when it was important to really, you know, block out the noise mm. from the people that weren't close to you, from the people that weren't in the inner circle, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking about family, close friends, coaching staff, teammates, so the people that, you know, you really are um, a part of your day-to-day life mm. and people that are, you know, they, they understand what you're trying to do and, and understand... Uh, you know, for, for the coaches will understand the game plan and the the messaging, and you know, your loved ones and family and friends. They, you know, they understand probably better than anyone else that mm-hmm. that you're only giving of your best. So in those tough times, through injury or you know a drop in form, when the world's on your shoulders and it's dark and gloomy, and it was the s- system around me mm-hmm. that I lent on, and I was lucky mm-hmm. to have had great support from family and friends as well as other players and coaches, management teams that I was involved in or played under rather. And they all showed kindness in those in those times. Uh, not always. Sometimes it was tough love, mm. but for the most part it, it was kindness, particularly mm. through the injuries. There was mm. a lot of mm. you know, concern and encouragement and yeah, I think those are also acts of kindness. Sure. Mm. So special to know that we're not alone in those moments and it sometimes takes courage a bit to lean on people or to go to them for support or to to reach out but it's it's always such a good thing to do especially when you you find your people and and you know who they are Mm -hmm. um and so i I always encourage people you find those people and and actively seek them out and you shouldn't feel guilty or bad about that it's it's a wonderful thing for you to do uh, but it's also a very special i bet a very special thing for all those people to have been there for you as well Mm. yeah we we love vulnerability don't we absolutely Mm. yeah so holding your vulnerability because it is sometimes scary to reach out Mm. for help and to to share the different thoughts and feelings that were, were going through your mind and through your heart in that moment it is a vulnerable thing to do but it's so important that we trust the people around us to mm. help us hold that. And even if they don't offer any advice back, I think just the the act of you speaking it out mm. already, you feel better about it. Just you know, because you're sharing your your worries or your concerns mm. or all yeah. the, That's the a great, challenges. Yeah, you're, such a great point that. Yeah, I've got a friend who always he, he sometimes comes over and he says, "I don't want you to tell me what the answer is. I already know, but I just want you to listen." There we uh, go. And I think. Mm. As a listener, it's an important thing to remember as well that sometimes it's that is a great gift. It's a huge gift to someone going through something, just being there with them and, and holding, helping them hold that story. Mm. Paul and I love the kind of um, we do a lot of self analyzing of thoughts and feelings and behavior. So I want to ask you in preparing for a huge rugby game, what was the mental preparation for that particular section of the journey before you even got onto the field? Let's talk about the morning of. I used to try and stay as relaxed as possible and not think about the game too much because I, f- I found myself getting anxious if I thought about it. Of course, much. I get anxious yeah. thinking yeah. about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's wasted energy. Absolutely. Yes. So I used to try and distract myself How? and like pret- pretend that it was just like another day. So you take the dogs for a walk, go for a swim at the beach. Sometimes I even went for a surf. Really? Um, yeah, I used to... I used to try and just... The coach must have loved, loved that. I'm just going for a surf. Yeah. <laughs> Don't injure yourself. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I actually had some of my best games after... I bet. 
swimming in the sea or having a surf in the morning, the morning of a match, just because it's, uh, I think, releasing endorphins, mm-hmm. enjoying myself. Like, mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite places to be is in the ocean. So it's just good vibes and good feelings. And you arrive at the ground relaxed in a good frame of mind, trusting that your preparation has been done during the week. So you know, Monday to Friday, you've analyzed the opposition, you've reviewed your previous game, you've you've studied the play sheet, so you know what you need to do on the field in that afternoon. Well, then there's nothing more you can do the morning of a game. Mm-hmm. So rather than waste energy being anxious and sit there, you know, biting your fingernails or tapping your foot on the ground, enjoy yourself and arrive at the game excited mm-hmm. to perform mm-hmm. and uh, excited to recall everything that you've done during Works the so week. Hard exactly. But what a beautifully kind approach, right? Because we know that in times where you the adrenaline's going and stuff, managing that self-talk and keeping yourself in the light, you know, Paul always says your brain is there to keep you alive and not to make you happy. So the fact that there was a kind lean to, you know what, this is the preparation that I've done. I'm going to arrive in a certain mind frame or mindset and we're going to take it from there. Yeah, so it's using the the parts of your brain that are not just about survival. It's coming into the, the, the front parts of your brain and actually taking control of that moment and taking control of that process because thoughts are so crucial, like you're mm-hmm. saying. They, thoughts lead to feelings. And so when you start connecting with that anxious feeling, we know that your cortisol levels are going to go up, um, your muscles are going to start to tighten up, you're going to be clenching, holding on. And that, of course, affects performance, how you're going to play. So when you take control of the thought process, and sometimes you manufacture it by distracting your brain, you Mm -hmm. take it away from the thing which does feel threatening uh, Mm -hmm. or is going to provoke anxiety, you take it into a different space, and suddenly a whole different set of feelings start to rise up inside of you. And that has an impact on the way that your body feels in that moment. Mm -hmm. And of course, that affects your performance. So you can be a lot looser, more relaxed, more excited Mm. uh, in that moment. And I'm sure that's exactly what you're talking about. Yes. I think I was fortunate as well. Quite early on in my career, we had a psychologist, a sports psychologist come into the Mm. picture and he did a whole lot of analyzing on our makeup and what makes us tick. And he he said that from the the results of my case study or Mm. his study on me rather, was that I was able to switch off and switch on quite easily so on a game day i shouldn't think about the game and Mm. i shouldn't worry about Mm. my performance or anything because when i arrive at the stadium and walk into the change room i have the capability of flicking that switch Mm -hmm. and turning on i don't think it's it's like that for everyone um, but i was fortunate of that and so that's why i could afford to distract myself and get those other emotions going and enjoy the build-up and the whole game day experience uh, doing other things. I can so relate to that. We were having a conversation about it earlier in the week. I think that sometimes being creative or being a sports person or whatever field you're in, there's this preconceived notion that you need to go out there and perform as opposed to feeding it. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like turning the soil. Mm. Like the land is rich. So don't doubt the performance or what's going to happen when you're on stage or when you're on the field or wherever you are. Just go and feed it. Mm. And that for me, look at my goosebumps. <laughs> that for me was such a, a revelation to actually just lean into that, knowing mm. that all the prep work is there. Now just step in. Yeah. yeah. And so the affirmation around that, so the, the way that you, the conversation you're having with yourself, you take control of that 
and you're saying things like, I've done the work. Mm. Monday to Friday, I've put in the work. That's exactly what you said. Mm. Uh, I know I trust my craft. Mm. I trust my ability. Mm. And you, you, you use your self-talk in that kind of way. You fill it with that kind of language. And, and you in the driver's seat, you're, just not, you're not allowing your brain to run away with itself in that Correct. moment and want to go mm. to all the worst-case scenarios and all the things that could go wrong. Uh, and the fact that that person's against me today. You know, you, you take control of the self-talk that's mm. happening in that moment. Okay, so now you're standing in the tunnel, okay? Mm. You're ready to go, <laughs> and you can hear everyone cheering, mm. and it's time to go. What is that feeling yeah, like? It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. No, because it's uh, a number of emotions and feelings all at once. It's excitement, it's nerves, it's the adrenaline's pumping. You know, then it's like a million thoughts going through your head about like how this game's going to unfold and... Again, it's uh, when you do actually run onto the field and you have the cheers and first touch of the ball, it's like all of that just disappears wow. and you're like in, wow. the, in the moment. Yeah. And then as, it's, as, a, as a team, were there some rituals pre-game that, that kind of fitted into kindness in some way or a human spirit in some way that helped you in those moments? Well, I guess the whole camaraderie or, mm. or brotherhood in the change mm. room, that touches on the kindness feeling. So it's all like high fives and hugs, yeah. wishing each other luck before we line up to run out onto the field. Um, and it's positive talk and sure. it's um, it's encouragement. And so I, I guess those are… And that's are a very special feeling to feel part of something that's bigger than you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And to feel like, you know, you're all in this together and you're all in the same boat and you're all trying to help each other let's flip the high five on its head it's half time things are not going well mm. where's the kindness in that and i s- assume there mm-hmm. is because we've now got to build the team to get them out in order mm. to perform sprinkled so. in amongst all the square words no 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 it depends on on the coach depends on the captain it also depends on the group of players in the room too depends how experienced they are it depends on what you've been through as a team the journey that you're on you know if it's first game of the season it's no good screaming and shouting but uh, you know if if you've performed to a certain level in previous games and now you just haven't arrived on that occasion then maybe you know a raised voice or and a few stern words is, is yeah. exactly what's needed to get everyone's a's into g's mm. um <clears throat> yeah, you spoke but, about tough love uh, yeah. and, and you know Jane and I often speak about the fact that kindness is not always rainbows and, and unicorns exactly. and high fives you know, sometimes mm. kindness is tough conversations mm. and hard realities and, and pointing out the facts right? Mm. Yes yes. so I mean the better coaches that I had in my career and the better captains they were capable of uh, sussing out the situation almost reading the room and then acting on on those those feelings that they were reading and whether it was the tough love right. whether it was come on shine up now you yeah. know you're better than this or whether it was the real acts of kindness or like encouragement mm. they were able to to give those messages across to the team in the heat of the moment mm. and get the best out of their players sure okay you're standing in front of the poles Mm. You're quite far back though mm. <laughs> You've got to kick that piece of leather <laughs> From that little plastic ashtray Turned upside down <laughs> Through the middle yeah. What's going through your mind? I mean I only assume the self-talk in those moments is What is that? Exactly As little as possible Really? Like, you want to quiet moments. the voice yeah. quiet You want to quiet all those fears and doubts And you know Feeling the wind on your cheek And you Doubting your technique Or All of those things you need to block out And it's positive confirmations saying like 
you know, I used to just repeat to myself, great strike, follow through, or head down, mm. follow mm. through, or, you know, and then I try and imagine the feeling of the crowd cheering once that ball's gone through the posts and the touch judges or the assistant referees have lifted their flags. Like, those are all good emotions and good feelings, and they block out the mm. fear of missing and um, of not doing it right. Yeah, and, I, and so I guess it was... Did you uh, have any, like, uh, superstitious uh, sort of, like, little rituals in those moments? That or No, not really. I, I think if I look back at some of the footage during my career, I realized I was doing things that I wasn't aware of at sure. the time. Um, like, I used to play with my tongue between my teeth, and sometimes that would you could see that with my mouth slightly open. Uh, and when I saw that... While I was still playing, I thought, sheesh, I've got to stop doing that. <laughs> so I, I made a point of it. But I tried, I really well, tried how, How's that for distracting not, your brain when you're standing there yeah, trying to get yeah. that piece of leather? Don't do the tongue yeah, and teeth yeah, thing. Yeah, Don't yeah, do the tongue exactly. and teeth thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I really tried hard to not let anything I couldn't control get in the way of performance and blocking out the voice of doubt and that mm. voice of fear in your head you know I, I can try and control that or i could influence that so those uh, affirmations and positive talk inside my head that was a big thing especially standing over uh, the kicking tee lining up a kick at goal and those uh, superstitions and, and rituals those are just uh, things that can get in the way of performance sure. because sure. you know if something is slightly off now suddenly you're going to think oh my word this there's no chance that i'm going to play well there's no chance i'm going to kick well because i tied my shoelace up incorrectly or that's doubt you know, right exactly gotta, that's doubt. any any moment of doubt's got to be avoided yeah, yeah. So we've spoken about like such beautiful connected moments but i mean in reality how difficult has the exit from rugby been it has been very tough. Yeah, look, it was a, uh, it was premature. Mm. Uh, I would still love to be playing. I envisioned myself to play until I was thirty four, thirty five at, at least. I would have loved to have been in Japan right now at the World Cup. So, it's hard uh, being on the side watching as a as a supporter now. But that was the hand that I've been dealt, and I was very fortunate to have had almost ten years of playing professional rugby and that's longer than a lot of other players and I played for the Springboks and I got to play overseas and um, I was very fortunate in my career to have so many highs um, along with some of the lows and the disappointments so again I've lent heavily on my family and some of my close friends yeah, to help uh, process some of these emotions and I'm still dealing with it. I'm still, I'm sure. yeah, yeah. I think it might be a, a long road, a long process, but I guess it helps that rugby has never been the be all and end all for me. It's always been a huge part of my life, mm. but from day one, it was, you know, I've always had other things going on and I've tried to keep perspective. And again, friends and family have played a huge part in that and just keeping perspective. So, I'm fortunate in that I'm still young enough now to move on to a whole other career. You know, I've got a young family. I can take some time to sort of find my feet um, heading into this next chapter. It's mm. not it's not a case of I've played and I've hung on and, and held on for as long as possible. And now, you know, you've been thrown out and where to from here. So I've, yeah, I've got a, a real opportunity to kick mm. on into the next phase of life. So beautiful, right? Yeah, I think I'd... I just I love the fact that you're giving yourself that space, that that time to run a process that you you're not 
you know, as I'm listening to you talk, it's you're not rushing the <laughs> fact that I need to be over it or I need mm-hmm. to just be fine with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's that, that's that's the right way to go to give yourself the space to process all the different feelings that you must be going through as you transition because. Change and loss is always hard for mm. people, and that's I'm sure part of what's going on at the moment. And so, as much as there's new beginnings and and hope and exciting yes. things, also making space for that process that's running alongside it. That's, exactly, it takes courage. Thanks. Look, I think it will be easier once the World Cup is not on your face every weekend, no. right? <laughs> I mean, it must be kind of like seeing uh, your ex-girlfriend at a bar with a new guy. <laughs> it's like, I know that this is probably better for me. It's yeah. probably good for me, but yeah. Yeah, I still haven't really moved on. So yeah. this is quite hard right now. Yeah, yeah exactly. Absolutely. Mm. I think you're giving such great advice when you, first of all, say it's a process and you've got to give yourself that that time to go through that process. But again, reaching out to people who can help you on that journey and, and, mm. and support you on that journey. I think that's a great piece of, of advice right there. Mm. We could speak for like hours and hours, <laughs> and I think we're going to have to invite Pat back. I would love to. Because we'd love to chat about kindness and relationship because lovely Kate and Pat are high school sweethearts, new mm. dad, kindness and parenting. There's just, you know, there's a lot to talk about. Yeah. But we thank you so much no, for your time. It's a pleasure. Thank and you we treasure you. Thank oh, you. Oh, we do. Very yeah, kind. We hope to see you soon. Jane. It's been an absolute pleasure having you That's here with cool. us today. Thank you. Just uh, to remind you, you can get hold of us on Info at Kindness Can. Uh, Paul and I are so passionate about going out into schools and into corporate spaces and into communities and just facilitating really real and vulnerable and connected conversation because you know what we have so much more in common than we think and that kindness can change the world. Absolutely. And we can't wait to chat to you soon. All the very best and sending you lots of love. Lots of love. You've been listening to Kindness Can, the podcast. Find out more at kindnesscan.co.za.